The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Little Wire Prospect Podcast. Clay Link here with lead prospect writer James Anderson. And James, right before we began the podcast today, you uh, became on the clock in the Top Wars Draft and Hold League. I really like what you've done. We'll talk a lot about uh, the first nine rounds of this draft, but I thought it'd be kind of entertaining if we just delayed a little bit and had you make these picks live on the podcast, and then you could kind of explain uh, your thought process. Yeah, it's going to be super entertaining. Uh, <laughs> just going to, going to be making some live picks here, folks. So it's tough to beat that. Uh, yeah, it. I, I was actually kind of all set up for who I wanted to pick here. Uh, was picking 15th, and uh, the person picking 14th is on the clock. And, of course, he takes one of my guys. Uh, was going to take Gasmani Grandal with one of these picks. I think he's far and away the third best catcher to have in in an OBP format like this and thought he was going to be good value here. Uh, But that did not happen. Uh, The other Anderson in this draft selected Yasmani Grandal, 
So, you know, there was a massive, massive closer run uh, that took up most of the last two rounds. Uh, actually, it started halfway through round seven. Vlad Sedler took Roberto Ozuna. Then five straight closers went, and seven of the next eight picks were closers. And then there was another run to start round eight, and a few more guys in, in round nine. And the, the best closer remaining by quite a bit, in my estimation, is Jose Alvarado. So I think I got a little fortunate to not get completely shut out on that run. Uh, so he's going to be uh, my first pick here. And then it kind of came down to a handful of hitters that I have pretty similar dollar value uh, dollar values assigned to here. Uh, you know, there's still a decent amount of outfielders available. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to address speed here just because, you know, I, I already have one speedster, but a lot of the guys I have are guys that aren't going to run very much. And I, this guy also has a decent amount of upside, uh, especially in an OBP format. He's he's much more valuable in OBP than he is batting average, and that would be on Mankata. Very interesting. I think that's certainly a pick that you can take on in this OBP league after the foundation you built. Um, I mean, you just got Aaron Judge, Joey Votto in the first three picks, Aaron Hicks. I think you can sacrifice a little bit of that for a guy like Mankata, who's actually not as big of a drain as he would be in a batting average league. Yeah, and he's you know he's a guy that I think there could be kind of a, a sneaky breakout coming this year. Uh, I think I, I you know I always see like really smart stuff like floating around Twitter. I mean, there's tons of smart people in an industry, and it's always tough to remember who to give credit to. But uh, I saw something about how Jan Mankata was the unluckiest player in baseball last year when it came to getting rung up on called third strikes yep. that were not strikes. Uh, that's, I think, part of why you saw his strikeout rate regress from what it was in 2017. Uh, I like the batted ball profile that he's going for. He's uh, kind of spreading out his hits, uh, you know, getting the ball in the air, uh, pretty good line drive rate and everything like that. And obviously we know that just the, the raw tools are, are pretty impressive for him. I uh, was a little surprised to see him only, I think, 75th or something like that on the, the sprint speed leaderboard. Um, but that's, you know, he, he's still a guy I expect to steal 15-plus bases. And really just at this point in the draft, if unless you're taking a guy that's just going to really hurt your, your on-base percentage, the best you can really hope to do uh, with everyday players is getting a guy that's going to steal 15 to 20. You know, yeah. you're, they're, all the guys that could reasonably steal 25 plus and are assured of everyday bats are pretty much gone. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty surprised that Mankata lasted to this nine ten turn, just given that he does have speed and the, you know, the upside is obviously there. That was David Adler who had that tweet, by the way, MLB.com stack cast. Um, he had it. Most K's looking on borderline pitches in 2018, Mankata 60, and the next two were, were Trout 41 and Judge 40. So not technically a rookie, but he was kind of getting the rookie treatment. And, yeah, he needs to make more contact, but with just you know a few more favorable calls, that should go a long way. Speaking of the rookie treatment, James, your first foray into Towers, you get the very last pick in the first round. You did take Judge, which I thought was a great pick, and we, we talked a little bit before 
on Saturday, and you, you didn't think there was much of a chance he'd get there. I didn't really either, but I thought there was an outside chance. But how did you go about the thought process with the with that second pick there at the one-two turn? You ended up taking Garrett Cole. Were there any other players in that conversation for you? Uh, yeah, so so this when I kind of did all my like valuations, I realized really quickly that uh, I was not going to enjoy picking uh, from the turn. And, you know, big part of that is that I, well, I didn't expect Aaron judge to be there, but I, you know, I, I felt like I was going to end up taking a player at 16th overall who there was a pretty good chance would be there at like 20th overall, 22nd overall, 23rd overall. Uh, Second I don't round's pretty fluid. Right. And so, you know, just from a team building standpoint, I'd rather be picking earlier than later because that way, you know, I can still get that second rounder and I get a much better first rounder and a, a better third rounder. Uh, so my plan, if I didn't expect judge to be there, I had him, I have him tied with uh, JD Martinez and Christian Yelich as the fourth best hitter in this format. Uh, so I, I really didn't expect him to be there, but that was awesome that he was because my backup plan was to take Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander 15, 16, which I think is one of the, I, I really think it's one of the more viable ways to go about picking at the turn this year is to double tap aces. And it's, it's just not something I like endorsing, but I mean, the math just points there kind of, uh, in, inarguably. And, uh-huh. uh, so Garrett Cole, I knew I was going to end up with, I didn't think there was much of a chance that DeGrom or Chris Sale would be there. Uh, DeGrom actually almost got there. He he went 14th overall. That would have been nice if he'd fallen. But uh, I kind of knew I was getting Garrett Cole, and then it just kind of came down to whether or not Aaron Judge was there or not. And then uh, if, if he was not, I was going to take Verlander. Uh, it's really, really tough, I think. And we'll, we're going to probably get into this uh, for a minute. But if you just kind of look at ADP and just look at where uh, pitching is going in these – uh, industry drafts or, or NFPC drafts, uh, you're gonna have to quote unquote reach for a pitcher either in the first round, second round, third round, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round. Like, there's not gonna be a value pitcher there for you in the first six rounds on the pitching side, in, in my opinion. And I would rather have take that reach with a guy like Garrett Cole in the second round than any of the guys available in the third or fourth round. And if, I mean, if you look at the draft board, it's just, you would, you would really have to be doing some reaching to address pitching at the three, four, uh, turn because, you know, guys like Noah Syndergaard goes 31st overall. I thought he was maybe my best bet if I didn't take pitching, I thought he might have been my best bet to make it back to 45. He he went 15 spots ahead of that. I thought Patrick Corbin might be there, but I didn't want to take him at 45. Patrick Corbin went early or mid-third round, so he wasn't going to get there. Uh, even Steven Strasburg went before he got to me, and I didn't. I would not have taken him there. So I, I think you kind of just have to grin and, and bear it and take an ace if you're picking at the turn this year. Interesting. Yeah, you know, I typically don't like taking pitching early, but yeah, I'm looking at how the things, how the board shook out, and I mean, are you really going to pop Clevenger at the three four turn? Paxton maybe, but that's kind of iffy. Tyone, I I see, you know, and the guys you got there, especially in OBP, Votto and Rendon, 
I don't see any way I could take one of those guys over uh, Vado or Rendon. So getting Cole there did set you up pretty well. But why why Cole over Verlander? Is age largely a factor, or do you like him to actually have a better year than Verlander? Uh, I just have him projection-wise. I think he comes out uh, slightly ahead. Uh, Interesting. You know, I think they're both studs. I, it's really hard to pick apart anything in their games. Yeah. Um, love the team context, love the innings, love the strikeouts. Uh, I really do think the the Garrett Cole we saw last year is kind of at, at worst just the new normal and possibly the, the start of something really special. Like I think he could be uh, getting ready to go on his own sort of run of dominance where he's one of the best pitchers in baseball for the next five or six years. Uh, just don't really see any risk there at all that's not just standard pitcher injury risk and you know on on the Astros a team that I think is going to win 100 plus games this year that that's a nice spot to be for him and you know the whole point of taking these guys is to just get the 200 plus innings the 250 plus strikeouts and I think you're accomplishing that with Cole or Verlander it's just when I plugged in uh, my projections for those two guys Cole just came out slightly ahead uh, but I you know Verlander's Verlander was right there there was a gap t- to me after Cole and Verlander before uh, my fifth guy Blake Snell interesting yeah you and I are both picking in the final three picks in TGFBI this weekend and I'm, I'm strongly considering like if I have to maybe taking a picture there with that second pick but it, because you make a really good point about there's going to be a point in the draft at some point where you have to push up pitching and just get some pitching. And that depends on, do you want to do that early? Do you want to do that three, four, five, six? You have to make that decision. And I, I did have to make that in the um, $150 draft champions express. I did in that league uh, or on Sunday, <clears throat> kind of talking with you, gave me the itch and I pushed up Herman Marquez into the fourth round, late fourth you got him almost, you know, well, more than a round later in this. Um, I just felt it was necessary to lock in those 210 plus Ks. You know, I like the stuff, like his chances to beat cores, but I did take him over a guy like Barrios. Do you think that was a mistake? I actually have those guys valued exactly the same this oh, year. Wow. Okay. Uh, and I would probably take Barrios just kind of using Coors as a as a tie breaker uh but That's i totally fair i really i you know i wish um i just wonder i i feel like marquez is is just not going as high as you and i are willing to take him so i would have you know i wasn't even considering him at the three four turn i mean obviously i already had cole so i was looking to get mm-hmm. two stud hitters at, at three four but like, if you don't sit, like, say I hadn't taken an ace. Well, one of the reasons why I, I wanted to take an ace in the second round is I was just mapping everything out, and I thought there was a very, very real possibility that I was not going to get a pitcher till German Marquez in the fifth round if I didn't take an ace in the in the second round yeah. there. And I just don't want to build my staff headline by by Marquez even as much as I like him I just it's you're kind of playing with fire uh yeah to to an extreme there when you're going in with him as your sp1 
I really don't mind him being my SP2. I know that a lot of people are just terrified of the, the Coors aspect. Uh, I would I would just say, I mean, compare, compare Marquez's stuff and his results in the you know final three four months of last season to what any other pitcher has done at Coors and it's it's not an apples to apples comparison Mm -hmm. I mean I I know a lot of people have been burned by you know I I had John Gray plenty of places last year I mean I know it it sucks when when that happens but uh, Marquez to me is just um quite a bit more trustworthy than than john gray uh from a stuff standpoint i know you've written a lot about this but as much as i like him as much as you like him can't recommend him being a sp1 and i kind of felt like there was a decent chance he would be my sp1 if i didn't take cole where i took him yeah i like that idea yeah he's my like ideal sp2 in a 15 team league yeah sp1 though is really pushing it i i don't see that but uh, i just don't think people realize just how dominant he was down the stretch i think that that first half kind of marred the numbers and kind of messes with projection systems. I just think a lot of projection systems have trouble really accounting for the, the change he made just how the, the breaking stuff took off in the second half. But yeah, I like, like the Marquez pick a lot. And also because you balance him with a guy like Hendricks, which is exactly what I did in a, in the draft champions I was doing because look, that's, that's kind of like the perfect mix between you get your tons of K's, maybe some ratio risk, but then, uh, not as many Ks, but a really good ratio is Anchor and Hendricks. Exactly. And I, I actually, I have, uh, let's see, I, I have Shane Bieber just a tiny bit ahead of Kyle Hendricks, but I deviated a, a little from my board just because I liked the way Hendricks paired with Marquez so much. Like I, I felt like that was just a perfect fit uh, from a ratio standpoint. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just wanted to go safe there on the pitching side. I mean, I, I think Bieber has a, a decent chance to have a better year than Hendricks, but I just feel like I know what I'm getting with Hendricks, and that was what appealed to me uh, with that specific pick. Although I had a – I there have been times today – I made that pick like late last night. I, I made it uh, and went to bed, but there have been times today where I, I regretted the Hendricks pick. Um, there were just a bunch of guys that went after him that I – foolishly thought might make it back oh like who like i do you think maybe eloy would get there uh no i and i didn't really you know i didn't really think these guys would make it back but it was just kind of a fool's hope uh but i andrew mccutcheon was my best player available uh there just by from a valuation standpoint uh by quite a bit and that would have made my offense just so strong it would have set me behind on the pitching side for sure but i would have, i would have double tapped pitching uh this turn if i'd gone that route and i mean you know mccutcheon and an obp is just so nice i thought that was a great pick by ariel cohen two picks after i took Hendricks, and then uh cory knable uh was my top closer available by quite a bit but he would have been I would have been reaching down to get him. I reached down when we started the show for Jose Alvarado. Uh, but, you know, part of me wishes that I'd gone Knable instead of Hendricks, and then I would have probably taken a couple hitters this past turn. But then I would only have two starting pitchers. So um, it, it, it it's things, a balance. Everything's a trade off. Yeah, things really couldn't have gone any more perfectly for me in the first six rounds, but 
things have just been a, a complete nightmare for me <laughs> in these these last three rounds because all my done. all my plans have just fallen by the wayside. Yeah, I could see you know wanting that you know Hendricks over Knable back. That's tough, especially given the run. I also kind of like Leclerc. I know he's had some walk issues, but man. He's really hard to hit, so kind of evens itself out. Um, you talked about the closer run. The the biggest surprise to me was not just how kind of ferociously these guys were flying off the board, but the fact that Blake Trinan was actually the sixth reliever off the board. If you go to our earned auction calculator and put in you know fifty fifty a budget split as it should be because you know there's no you know, every hitters and pitchers earn the same, but um, if you do that. Blake Trinan was a top 10 player overall last year. $43 player. Obviously, the nine wins had a lot to do with that, but I'm pretty surprised that he went behind guys like uh, Jansen, Ozuna, and uh, Chapman, Felipe Vasquez. Yeah, I think that that's just the kind of the nature of a closer run in a quote-unquote expert league. Like, you know, you just have a bunch of people that, think they're as smart as anyone in the room and just don't really care about public perception on, on these guys. And, and I respect they, that. I yeah. just, I just think Blake Trennan's really good. Look, I mean, if you're taking any closer in the seventh round, it better be a guy that you just love and not a guy that you're just taking because that's what ADP tells you yeah. you should do. And, uh, yeah, I thought that that was a kind of a fascinating order of things. Uh, Brad hand almost, makes it back to me there uh, i i i would have taken him in the seventh round he again was one pick away uh but yeah we've talked about this uh, at least on the xm show i mean i brad hands in my top five at that position and canable's kind of right behind him so you know canable in the eighth round to uh harrison was a was a really nice value i thought yeah i would have taken him over a handful of the closers that went ahead of him um, but you know, it's, it's just <laughs> part of me didn't even want to get involved on this thing at all. Like I, I was very tempted to, and I was chatting with you about this before we started recording. Like I just part, I just hate reaching that far down to get a guy to, to fill, uh, fill a need, but the closers were just going so hot and heavy, uh, you just you can't take anything for granted. It's like, oh, there's all these cheap closers I like later. Well, picking at the turn, I mean, there could be another closer run where just all the other guys I like go and I just get completely shut out. Uh, yeah. Just wanted to have a little bit more flexibility in the ensuing rounds of the draft and not have this sort of lack of saves thing hanging over me. Yeah, after Alvarado, it's like I may just cut cut off the closers and get like, Hunter Strickland or Ryan Brazier after that because who are the guys like behind Alvarado worth paying up for? I don't, well, I don't really I, know. You know, Ken Giles. Giles, yeah, it, Giles. It's like you're weighing – like Giles versus Alvarado is just a, a fascinating like wh- who would you rather have because with Giles, like I can't even imagine who would be next in line for saves there. So I think he's got about as long of a, a leash as anyone in the ninth inning. Uh, but Alvarado is so nice. Alvarado, like if Alvarado just gets, like he just really needs to get to like 23, 24 saves. Yeah. And I'm just super happy with it because of how good the ratios and strikeouts are going to be. So it's, I know it's not going to be your classic, 
you know, Alvarado gets every save chance type of situation in Tampa, but he really just needs to get like 70% of the chances and I'll be, I'll be fine with that. Yeah. That's, uh, that's an interesting pick. I do like Giles a bit. Obviously had some issues last year with, you know, punching himself in the face, cursing <laughs> out AJ Hinch, but numbers, not, not bad at all, realistically. So yeah. And who's behind him? Ryan Tapera, David Paulino, like, come on. Got plenty of leash, but, um, yeah, I was also just one last thought on these closers. Surprised that there was a three round gap between Edwin Diaz and the next closer. Like that's you don't really see that very often. Well, yeah, it it's you know, Edwin Diaz goes uh in the, in the fourth. fourth round, kind of exactly where you'd expect Edwin Diaz to go. Mm-hmm. Uh and then I think it was just kind of an agreement. Everyone just was like didn't want to be there. It's too early. No, it's <laughs> yeah. too early, like and I, I applaud everyone because, you know, everyone walked away from this crazy closer run with, with at least one guy. And uh, we all were able to load up on safer assets in rounds five and six. So, you know, it worked out. But, yeah, that's <laughs> that's maybe the danger. Like, I, I think Edwin Diaz is the best closer. Uh, I would – if you just said I could pick any of them, I would take him. But – you really I don't know if you want to be the one taking Edwin Diaz in the fourth when Blake Trinan doesn't go until late in the seventh. <laughs> yeah. Well that you're not gonna get him there if you're in a draft with me, but um you know, I don't wanna be the guy taking a closer in the fifth round, but in the draft champions I did, which was like this was also fifteen teams, Edwin Diaz went early fourth. I ended up getting um Herman Marquez in the fourth. And then I went trying to, uh, with the third pick in the fifth, just because, you know, at that time I didn't realize I was also going to get Kyle Hendricks. And I wanted that, that ratios balance also with more teams moving to kind of the, the committee approach. I just think it is pretty worthwhile to get at least one guy locked in. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, you can feel as, as smart as you want about, like, oh, I know who's going to close for the Twins or the Cardinals or whoever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could just really easily be wrong and then you're left with nothing. And it there's on the off chance that you, you nail those late round closers and you, you figure it all out, that's great. But I think you're right. I mean, saves are just drying up. And in a draft and hold especially, it's like, you know, all the only saves in the pool are the saves that get drafted and – you need to have uh, at least a a small piece of that pie if you want to um, fin. I, I just want to finish like eighth in the standing yeah. and saves. I mean eighth, ninth, tenth, Especially something in like stand that. Alone. Just yeah, not bottom totally. five. Yeah, and even though Edwin Diaz got almost twenty more saves than Trinan last year, fifty-seven to thirty-eight, according to our calculator, Trinan earned three dollars more. So I just like Trinan a lot. Maybe it was just because I had him on a bunch of teams and some you know dumb love for him, but. Uh, and maybe they have some – maybe those saves are more spread around in Oakland this year, but I just like like the ratios. I like to lock in at least, you know, 25 to 30 saves. But, um, you know, this is the prospect pod, James. Not a ton of prospects have gone. We saw Eloy go in the eighth. Um, you surprised by how far he fell? Uh, I guess this isn't that far. No, I, I think this is actually right for him in a OBP – uh, I think he's more valuable in batting average leagues because, you know, we off we often see with these these young phenoms, it takes maybe a year or two for them to start walking as much as you 
expect them to for for their peak seasons and a lot of pitchers are still trying to figure them out and uh, i think Eloy's going to hit for a high average right away ton of power uh but you know he's he's not going to be a double digit percent walk guy this year so i thought that eighth round was a good spot for him um you know i was hoping that vlad would make it back to me at, at 45 and he came kind of close he went uh i think pick 40 pick 41 Anthony Rendon's a pretty good fallback option there at third. Yeah. Uh, you know, that Rendon, Vado, Judge, OBP base is really nice. I mean, I, I think the stolen base guys I got, Jonathan VR, Aaron Hicks, Jan Mancata, I mean, that's probably, you know, that's probably about like 65, 70 steals right there. Uh, the nice thing about those three is they're all, you know, I think they're all more valuable in OBP leagues than, than batting average mm-hmm. leagues. Uh, and so even though I took guys that are going to have in VR and Mankata, I don't expect them to have a better than like 330, 340 OBP that I'm still doing really well in that spot. And I got my steals because of those first, that, that big three up top. Yeah. I love the VR pick. That was a perfect like makeup ground type of pick. We saw Victor Robles go in the seventh. Anything else you want to kind of mention that you saw in this or have seen so far in this draft before we move on to your latest article? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just I think it's I'm glad that I mapped out sort of I think I mapped out like eight or ten rounds in advance before the draft just to kind of really just to figure out what I wanted to do at that turn. And I think that anyone who has a draft coming up, a snake draft where they're picking really anywhere, but uh, especially if you're picking kind of in the back five, um, you know, map out where your pitching is going to come from and try to figure it out. Like we all, we all like different guys, you know, more or less. Uh, So it's, it's not going to be the same for me as it is for you, but you know, what are your realistic chances in rounds three, four, five, six, seven of getting a starting pitcher that you are going to be happy with at that spot? And if it's just not all that realistic, then you have to think about maybe taking a guy a little, little earlier than you would like. Yeah, I think that's good advice. You know, it's everybody has a plan to get punched in the mouth. Of course, we all know that saying, but I do think it is good to just have a general idea like, okay, right here, am I willing to push up Herman Marquez? Am I willing to push up Barrios at this spot? And if not, you know, who are the guys I'm going to get later? It's Yeah, I think that's really smart to do, especially with pitching. Uh, but good luck the rest of the way. I'm looking forward to monitoring this from afar. Uh, also, but just a reminder that you got your Beat James Anderson League set up. You maybe want to let people know when that is. Ah, yes. Uh, I believe it is Tuesday, March 12th at 7 Eastern. Uh, got to imagine that thing is already full because I, I tweeted about it <laughs> yesterday. I mean, there's, sharks. <clears throat> there's always sharks hanging around waiting for uh, an easy league like that to open up. And, and so, you know, I, I hope to, you know, if you're a listener and you're in that league, let me know. Uh, I would rather get challenged by uh, friendly friendly fire friendly than, fire, than yeah. strangers that are just jumping in to, to take advantage of me but stranger danger yeah i mine's a week later march 19th tuesday uh 9 p.m is mine so yeah thanks to greg ambrosius the nfbc for setting those up this and should be fun you that was the league that you uh you had a pretty dominated good year. in yeah, yeah. I had a pretty and, good year. even though i did i just wrote a blog about that like dude 
I screwed that up. Like, I totally botched that because I took, like, I don't know, Sano and some other scrub. Um, really kind of shot myself in the foot, and I'm left wondering what could have been. But uh, it's always good to, you know, remind yourself that you got some improvement, uh, room for improvement in your game. But, James, your latest farm future is shortstop tiers. Not going to spend a ton of time on this, but definitely want to touch on uh, some of these guys. I'm a little surprised that Wander Franco isn't a, in a tier of his own. <laughs> I mean, he could be. Uh, that's <laughs> That wouldn't be all that unreasonable. Uh, I just think, you know, I think all four of the guys in tier one are just such studs, and anyone could tell me that their guy's the top guy. You know, I, I know that maybe this offends the Fernando Tatis Jr. owners out there that he's not first in this tier uh, or at least second behind Wander Franco. But, you know, I kind of laid out my reasoning. It's, you know, Wander Franco, there's nothing he can't do. He could just be an absolute stud in all five roto categories. Uh, Royce Lewis, he... I think it's going to be a stud in all five roto categories. Uh, Bo Bichette also <laughs> fits that bill. And then Tatis, I think he's going to be a stud in four of the five roto categories. And maybe eventually it'll be five. Uh, and I don't necessarily think he's going to hurt you for long in batting average, but uh, just I'm so, you know, when when it's close, I'm going to give the edge to the hit tools. And, yeah, I think you could throw at least a seven on Wander Franco's. Uh, you know, I'd probably throw a seven maybe on, on Bichette's, probably a, a six, 65 on, on Royce Lewis. And then Tatis is, is kind of more of a 50-55 right now. So it's it's kind of in that order, and that's kind of a good – window into to how I view players. Yeah, you've been the voice of caution with Tatis in, in redraft leagues and um, make a lot of really good points just about maybe not hitting for much of an average when he first comes up. But with the addition of Manny Machado, do you at least expect to see Tatis Jr. earlier than expected previously? I doubt it really has much impact. Um, I mean, I, I don't think this Machado signing – really had much to do at all with with 2019 i think it was just an opportunity for them to get a absolute stud for the foreseeable future and they they jumped at it which i think was a a smart signing for them but um this doesn't accelerate his time yeah i mean are are the padres really gonna be winning like are they gonna have a 500 record in in june I, i don't really think so so and even if they did you know they might have guys performing at all at all those spots for that to be the case so i think uh we still probably see tatis whenever he forces the issue Mm -hmm. and uh, maybe that's in may maybe it's in july um but i I think it's going to be really fun watching him and machado patrol the left side of the infield for the foreseeable future all right, so Wander Franco not in a tier of his own. Tier one was Wander Franco, Royce Lewis, Bobachet, Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, tier two is one player uh, by his, by himself, Jazz Chisholm. 
What separates him so much from Tier 3, Xavier Edwards, Marco Luciano, Geraldo Perdomo, and Ronnie Mauricio? Uh, his f- success against full-season pitching. You know, the the other the four guys in Tier 3 are all uh, guys that are going to be making their full-season debuts this year. Jazz Chisholm, while well, he struck out quite a bit at, at low A and high A, his quality of contact at those two stops, particularly high A, was just off the charts. I mean, he was just, uh, you know, his I, – I don't have the data to back this up, but I feel like when I look at Jazz Chisholm's spray chart and uh, just kind of get a sense of what the hard hit data probably was, it, it just reminds me a ton of – of 19 year old Ronald Acuna, like where it's just, just driving the ball with authority all over the place, uh, particularly back up the middle, hitting the ball on a rope. I think his line drive rate at high A was over 30%, um, just scolding the ball. And then he, he really impressed a lot of people in the, the AFL as well as a guy who I would have actually guessed, you know, if you just said, do you think Jazz Chisholm looked good or bad in the AFL? I would have guessed he looked bad just because of. Uh, the fact that he was one of the youngest players in that league and had the least amount of experience in uh, the upper levels of, of anyone in that league, which is probably why I was on the taxi squad. But, I mean, he yelled his own. So uh, it's just the fact that we've seen him do it against more advanced pitching than the four guys in Tier 3. Yeah, I mean, that's a really well-reasoned point. Um, tier 4, um, you know, Jorge Mateo's there. I know you were kind of – Maybe not the high man on him this time a year ago, but you were kind of optimistic on him, had bumped him back up your list. Now he's fallen a little bit, but you still think Mateo could be a guy who's, you know, at least given his speed, is pretty fantasy relevant even in mixed leagues. Yeah, he's just so close to the majors and so fast, uh, and he is a quality defender at shortstop. So that's just a lot that he has going for him. I mean... <laughs> It last year went about as poorly as it could, but it's it's still you know it's, we're talking about stolen bases and the guys that were pushing up redraft league boards. I mean, Mateo is faster than almost all those guys, and he's he had a full year at AAA last year. Uh, I'm not willing to give up on him just yet, just because of how close he is and the stuff that he does well is stuff that really matters to big league teams. So. I'm not a guy that I ever expect to hit even like 255 against big league pitching, but I definitely think he could hit 235 someday, 240, play good short sub defense and steal 40 plus bases. I mean, that's that's still a pretty rare player. So Jorge Mateo, Wander Javier, Kevin Smith, Cole Tucker, and Luis Garcia in tier four among shortstop prospects. Anybody else in tiers five or, or six that you want to mention? Uh, not not by name but I, go check out the article there's i i guarantee unless you're just in a really really deep league uh in which case you know this article might not if you own if if all the guys in these tiers are owned in your dynasty league then then maybe just skip over this article entirely uh or future articles like it but in most dynasty leagues i guarantee there's somebody in tier 5 tier 6 with upside who's out there in your league um so just Plenty of guys uh, to keep an eye on this year. Yeah, I really can't recommend the your Farm Futures series enough. Uh, if you have not checked it out, do, please do so. It's really great uh, 
rotowire.com slash pod for a free 10 day trial. No credit card required. We got a ton of great stuff going up. Our magazine content uh, being published to the site. We got a lot of good stuff on the blog as well. So uh, check us out. And if you decide that we're worth your money after the 10 days, you can sign up, but uh, at least give us a shot. James, uh, shout out to our friend, Andrew listener to the pod who's created our, our playlist on Spotify for the top 20 most memorably bad hip hop songs, 20 a piece for you and I. You got a somewhat controversial entry last week. I got one this week. I don't know if it's really controversial, but it's kind of become like a cult classic at this point. But uh, Kia, My Neck, My Back. <laughs> Kaya, I forget how it's pronounced. Yeah. but uh, My Neck, My Back, you know the rest if you've heard the song. Uh, very explicit. I mean, this song, you'll never forget it if you hear it. It's the definition of memorably bad. Look, if you want to bang that song you can you can do that by all means but uh you're not going to be hearing that on my playlist that's yeah i mean that i would never have even thought of that song um <laughs> just because like you know and i'm thinking of like bad hip-hop songs like the i just wouldn't have thought of that being a hip-hop song i guess it is it counts but oh, yeah. um you know uh, you've seen the video <laughs> it's very much Am a I? hip-hop video okay yeah. i don't know um yeah, you sound like Nick Whalen telling me that I've heard some some new song like <laughs> like you've, you've heard, heard oh it. you've heard it you've heard it like I dude I don't think I have I don't go to the same <laughs> bars as you <laughs> yeah um, I just in my summers in my adolescence I just watched like MTV and BET yeah a lot. yeah for sure uh, okay mine might be another uh, controversial one and a lot of these are just you know bad relative to how good people think it is and uh i could see you not liking this um but it's it's running by the far side never heard that actually um, is that like um who's in that group or is it um del the funky homo sapien or whatever uh I forget who that far side i've heard i've never heard any of their songs though it's the name of it, Running. Uh, Running, yeah. It's a it's a popular it's a popular song. Huh. Uh, they are a group out of L.A. Um, yeah, I don't think you'd recognize any of the yeah, names of them, but yeah, um, that's a song. I, I expect to take some heat for that on Twitter, uh, just because that's right in the sort of genre I think a, a lot of our listeners are into like early nineties. Yeah. This was one that I just must've been under my radar a little bit. But yeah, just, it doesn't, I mean, kind of the same thing as big Papa last week just doesn't really do it for me. And it, it comes up nonstop when I'm listening to like Pandora or Spotify, uh, just because it's kind of closely associated to a lot of songs I do like. And, and I just always, always skip it over um but i'll have uh, i'll have some more um hot button picks in in the coming weeks like all of these picks you know there's a lot of um personal bias a lot of uh, our personal experiences bleeding into this and there's no way to really really make a, a countdown there've been millions and millions of memorable bad hip hop songs but uh in our opinion the worst ones We'll continue that countdown next week. We will also probably recap the rest of the Tout Wars draft and hold draft that James is in and talk more prospects next week. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you soon. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.